Hey, Luke chapter 20, if you're not there yet, you know what we're gonna do? We're just gonna read right through it, and then I'm gonna go back and pull out some things. But Luke chapter 20, verse one. Uh, let me just say one more thing before we do this. It's no secret that um, uh, there's changes in our state, and even this week, um, uh, some, some more uh, stuff's gonna come out from some, some authority in our community. Let's just pray. That's a... I know that some of what's gonna happen this week might make you upset and might make you angry and might make you want to lash out, specifically on social media. And I'm not saying that there's not an appropriate place or time to do that, but make sure if you do, that it's the appropriate time or place to do that. Um, There is a time to speak up, and this may very well be the time, but let's just pray for great wisdom for all those in authority over us. Because really, when it comes down to it right now, there's not a whole lot we can do. But we can pray and we can trust that God's going to speak to people. And um, if, if, in fact, you feel led that you need to speak up, can I just encourage you, email the people directly if you're upset with them, as opposed to necessarily uh, um, uh, blabbing out all over social media. And sometimes that's not the best way. Um, but I just, I just want to encourage you, just use great wisdom. And how you, I'm not saying you can't respond, but I'm saying as you do, make sure you respond with great wisdom, okay? Very good. That's just a pastor's heart as it was on my heart this morning. Luke chapter 20, verse 1. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So as we arrive here, can I just encourage you, those at home, those in the building, keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 20. But as we arrive here at this passage, it's a new day. In fact, it looks to be Tuesday. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a, a, a donkey colt, right? And that happens on Sunday. And then on Monday, it looks like, is when he goes in and he clears the temple out. We talked about that also last week. And then on Tuesday, well, Tuesday is where we find ourselves today. On Wednesday, it looks like he had a day of rest. And then Thursday, of course, is, is the infamous time when, when he was betrayed as well as... Uh, um, uh, when they had the, the Last Supper and all that kind of stuff, by Friday, he's hanging on a cross. So this is Tuesday in Jesus' life. As you look back at, at the end of chapter 19, if you have your Bibles open, the end of chapter 19, verse 48, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. As Jesus was teaching and preaching, people were just eating it up. It's like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I go to synagogue all the time, but this right here, I can't believe, I am so, I, I, I can't stop listening to this guy. They were hanging on everyone. And while many, if not most of the people were hanging on his word, there was another group of people that were looking to kill him. There was another group of people, the religious elite, that were, felt condemned, that felt like uh, Jesus was overstepping his bounds. And so to try to trap him and to try to get him in, they tried to ask him a question. And it wasn't so much that they were looking for an answer as much as they were looking uh, uh, to trap him and to, to kill him. So this, if you look at the calendar of Jesus' last week, 
This was one of the, uh, this is probably his last day of work. I mean, do you remember your last day of work? Some of you who are retired, do you remember what that was like? Some of you dream of being retired. Do you remember what that might be like? I remember at the, at the end of one, one summer uh, when I was in college, I, it was the last day at the old car wash. Yeah, and I was gonna go back to school that, that week. And so my boss, I was getting ready to clock out for, for lunch and he, his name was Corey. And, and Corey said, hey, uh, Scott, don't clock out and I'm taking you to Olive Garden. It's like, woo, Olive G, here we come. That's real Italian, you know? And so I, we're going to Olive Garden. Breadsticks are in my future. And I didn't even have to clock out. And that was important because I made $7 an hour, mind you. That was some money right there. And I, I got paid for my last lunch and he, my boss paid for my lunch. It was my last day there. And I'm, I'm assuming that you're hoping your last day at work is kind of maybe a little bit like maybe a lot of chocolate cake eating, a lot of people popping their heads in saying, hey, we're gonna miss you, Godspeed. Yeah, and maybe some tears uh, or something like that. This was Jesus's last day, if you will, of work. This was his last day of real ministering to others in this way. And, and what do we find him doing? Well, it's no surprise that we find him in the temple courts. It's no surprise that we find him teaching, and it's definitely no surprise that we find him teaching what? What does it say? Verse one, do you see it? And preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel, the information needed from scripture, from um, testimony, so that they can put their faith in God, the gospel. In other words, nothing has changed because if we go all the way back to Luke chapter four, verse 43, let me read it for you. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. I must preach. In, in Matthew chapter five, uh, there was a, a dude named Matthew, Levi. He got saved. He was a tax collector. And Jesus went over to Matthew's house and he was hanging around with the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the religious elite. We're upset. How can you spend time with those people? What did Jesus say? Listen, these people need the gospel. It's not the, the, the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. And so that's why I'm here. I want to bring the gospel to them when, when uh, after the resurrection of Christ. He's on the road to Emmaus. You remember that? Luke chapter 24. And, and he's talking to him and he's like, Oi, you guys still don't get it. You still don't get it. You still don't understand it. In verse, uh, t- chapter 24, verse 25, it says this. Let me read it. He said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, you haven't really been paying attention to your Bibles. You haven't really been t- paying attention to the Holy Scriptures that you have. And then it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and how it all kind of connects. And so Jesus is standing there sharing the gospel, the information they need to put their faith in God. And, he's, and so Jesus inevitably was like, okay, um, here's, here's what we need to do. Uh, here's Moses. Do you remember what Moses said here? And this is what this has to do with today. And here's what the prophet said. Do you see how this connects? Jesus it was, no, it was no shock that he was in the temple on this day. It was no shock that he was teaching, and specifically that he was teaching the most important message, and that's the gospel. Can I ask you a question? What are you supposed to teach people from the Bible? What, what, do, we, what do we come here to pathway for? Listen, I can give you biblical philosophy, biblical thoughts on, and, and teaching straight from the Bible on fatherhood, on parenting, 
But that's not going to be the main focus. I can give you um, uh, tips on how to succeed in life and thoughts on, on, I can give you those from a biblical perspective, from Bible teaching, but the most important thing that this church and any church ought to be delivering to its people regularly is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ who lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back. Amen? And that is what we see Jesus over and over and over is what he's teaching and preaching. What does Jesus do on his last day? He preaches the gospel. There's a young man who called his denominational head in the assemblies of God, the fellowship we're part of, it'd be the superintendent. He called his superintendent because it was his first Sunday at a, a new church. It was his first church he'd ever been at. It's the first time he ever preached a sermon. And he asked the superintendent, said, uh, Mr. Superintendent of the Assemblies of God, I, I'm kind of nervous here. This is my first message that I'm ever going to preach at the first church I've ever been the pastor of. What should I preach on? And the superintendent shot back right away. said, two things I'll tell you. One thing is this, preach Jesus. The second thing is, preach for 20 minutes. We've got the first one down pretty good here at Pathway. The second one we're still working on, Right? Preach Jesus. Preach the gospel. That's where the authority is. That's where the power is. Jesus on his last day is doing exactly what he called us to do, right? The Great Commission. He said, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And make sure you teach them to do good works. No, teach them to obey. We don't like that word. That's what we tell our dog to do, obey. <laughs> We're not dogs. But th this, is, this is what Jesus commands us. Teach him to obey all of his commands. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help teach all of us. All of us are here to teach one another. This is what the commands of God are. Not my philosophy, but what the authority says, what Jesus says. In verse 1, if you look at that again, in verse 1, it says... Uh, it says, it names who was there. So he's in the temple courts and preaching the gospel. There was the chief priests, teachers of the law, together with the elders. The chief priests. Um, this was the high priest, probably the former high priest, maybe some other social dignitaries. These people were responsible for the temple worship and those things. There was the teachers of the law. These were the scribes. These were the people that were writing things down and trying to make sense of it. And then there was also... Um, uh, the elders, and this would be like the town council, the county council, the county commissioners. I mean, in, in our context, that's the elders, those that were in leadership of that town. And they all banded together and said, listen, 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 just because you have people in uh, authority like that that all come together in unity, it doesn't mean that they're always unified behind the right cause. I'm just gonna leave that there. So they're unified, and they come not just seeking an answer, but they're trying to trap Jesus, right? Okay, so, so this group comes and stands to address Jesus. And verse 2 again, tell us by what authority you, you've been given. And, um, and the emphasis is, how, what authority do you have to do these things? What were these things? Put yourself in this passage here. What authority do you have to jump on a donkey and ride into town, 
You see, these authorities, they knew Zechariah. They knew that one of the prophets 500 years before had prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey like that, a colt, never been ridden before. They knew that. Who are you to think that you could do these kind of things? Who are you to come into the temple and you turn over all the the money changers and here we're trying to help people to be able to worship God and you're turning over the money those and the, the, and I know we made a little extra money on those things but much of it went to the poor. The poor aren't going to get help now because you turned over the money changers. Sure, we use some of it for a, our, our nice uh, winter home in, in Jericho. It's a nice place over there. Palms and everything. But I'm just telling you right now, the poor are done. I mean, that, you know that that's kind of where they were at. Who are you? Who gave you the authority? to come in and do all of this. And uh, you think about those that were taught in the synagogues. Here's Jesus. Without having a picture, I should have put a picture together. I know you you love my pictures and my maps, but this week I'm kind of low on that. But um, the temple, just imagine with me. The area where Jesus was teaching right now, just kind of a huge area. And there might even be a, um, a, a, a teacher over here and a crowd listening to him. And then there might be over here another teacher. And, and so Jesus is over here teaching to his, his people. He's in the synagogue. And if you read all of the, the, the four gospels, let me just tell you, excuse me, he's not preaching in the synagogue, he's preaching in the temple. But if you read all four of the, the, the gospels, when um, it looks like many of those who were teachers in the synagogue, which is kind of like their, their weekly gathering for, for the Jews, where they'd come together and hear the reading of the scriptures and stuff. It seems like it was kind of, I mean, it's kind of dry. And it was kind of boring. It was kind of, there wasn't a whole lot of life. It, it, had, it had turned into something that was just routine. It was turned into something that was just like, just reading through this. And so when Jesus came with life and explanation of not just reading of the scriptures, but this is how this applied, you know what I'm saying? This was amazing. And people were eating this up. And their, their typical synagogue situation wasn't so. It's kind of like my freshman year of Western Civ <laughs> in college. Hi, we're so glad you're here. Let's stick you in the most boring class of any class. And if you've ever taken Western Civilization your freshman year in college, you know, let's put an 18-year-old who could really doesn't even... I shouldn't say, but anyhow, let's put him in a class. And I remember my professor, he was a nice guy. Dr. Carson was his name. Nice guy. And he was, loved Jesus. I went to a Bible college, so that's important. But he loved Jesus. But I'm telling you, his monotone and the subject matter for this 18-year-old was just too much. I mean, I, I tried to stay awake. And I, but and that's kind of the way the synagogue was for many of these people. And here's Jesus coming and explaining things, and it's coming alive. But it's beyond just a good preacher-teacher. There was authority. In fact, they mention that at times. The authority with which he teaches and preaches. And so it doesn't, I mean, it makes complete sense that the religious elite would push back and say, now wait a minute, this wasn't the first time. We've talked about it before because they even said to him, he's coming from the power of Beelzebub, the power of Satan is how he's doing all these things. That's what they said chapters ago. And so once again, what's your authority? Who's, Who's giving you the authority to do all this? Here's the religious elite trying to disguise their question from what it really is. They're trying to trap Jesus. And you see, For them, the authority came from their stature, 
for them, you think about the elders of the town. Their fathers were elders of the town of Jerusalem. And so they became the elders. The others, they, uh, the, the scribes and, and um, those that were uh, part of the, the Sanhedrin itself and the Pharisees in there, all of them, many of them went to some of the best rabbinical training places. And, and they had, in, in today's modern day, they would have gone, been like Ivy League scholars. I mean, they, they would have had all the, the little letters behind their name. And they would have been the most uh, uh, revered, most well-studied. And here we have Jesus and they're like, wait a minute, you didn't go to my school. You didn't sit underneath my rabbi. You didn't sit underneath my teacher. With what authority do you have to say this and do this? You're just a Galilean carpenter. You just, you build stuff. What authority do you have? What's your, what's your training? Where's your training certificate? Where's your license to do this in a sense? If you're going to teach like this, you, you, you should have gone through a rabbinical training like we did. These religious elite were not about to bow down to the authority of Jesus and the kingdom he spoke of because they knew best. Are you one of those people? Let me just ask you. Hey, I know. Don't tell me. I know. I know. No. Every once in a while, you bump into somebody who declares themselves to be very open. I'm just very open to all beliefs. I'm very open to what anyone believes. I'm just, I'm just a very open person. Whatever you want to believe is, is, is okay, and, and I, I find it interesting. And then, and then you just toss one thing out that's pretty much a, a main tenet of Christianity. What, what about this one? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to God and get to the Father? Oh, no, 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 I don't believe in that. I'm not open to that at all. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you were very open. Not so, not anymore. Because they can't deal with that. They can't deal with Jesus being the authority. And that's where these Pharisees were. That's where this, uh, these religious elite, that's where they were. They couldn't stand that Jesus had the authority because of who he was and because uh, of the, the scriptures that he stood on. The issue of a man or a woman before the kingship of Jesus Christ, a man or a woman having to decide that, will I bow my knee before Christ or not? That's what we're talking about. The religious elite refused, but the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to get up underneath his authority. And they, it wasn't so much that they didn't, in their minds, there, there, were, there were even some of them that we see. Follow me here. There were even some of the Pharisees who started off right, but they went way off the longer they wanted. But there are some of the Pharisees that actually did put their faith in Jesus, Right? We see that um, Nicodemus and some others later on in the New Testament, we see that they did, they came around. And so as, as, you, as, you, as you look at this, what, what the, what, what the, what the, there's some, even here, I'm sure that in their minds, they're like, oh, this is, I think that there's something to this, I don't know, whatever. But their will was still like, I'm not gonna be moved. My will will not be moved. Because they knew better. And this is interesting because it still happens today. There's something that happens in our own day. People, um, n- nothing against education. I went through education myself. But one of the things we have to, our challenge is this, is that just because someone is educated doesn't mean they have all the answers. And just because someone is uh, uh, uneducated doesn't mean they're always right. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. But there are times when those who are uh, maybe have the, the, the greater education will throw that on others that don't. And it's not right. And say, follow us, listen to us. We know better. 
And just, I was just reading this week, our Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. Let me just read this. This is from NBC News. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito on Thursday sounded an alarm about restrictions imposed because of the coronavirus pandemic, saying they shouldn't become a recurring feature after the pandemic has passed. The pandemic has resulted in previously unimaginable restrictions on individual liberty. Alito said in an address to the Federalist Society, Alito noted that he was not diminishing the severity of the virus. He's, I'm not diminishing the severity of the virus, he said. It's a threat to public health. Whether there, uh, and he said, whether any of these restrictions represent good public policy, not pushing against that. He cautioned against his words being twisted or misunderstood, but let me keep reading. But he said, it is an indisputable statement of fact. We have never before seen restrictions as severe and extensive and prolonged as those experienced for most of 2020. Alito was particularly critical. This is what I want to get to. He was particularly critical of two cases earlier this year when the court sided with states that citing the, the coronavirus pandemic imposed restrictions on the size of religious gatherings. He's talking about Nevada and California. Two states that at one point, specifically Nevada even said, um, uh, strip clubs, not a big deal. Religious institutions, shut it down. And we live in a country where we have freedoms. And, uh, and there's, there's some... There's some who have that same hatred and that same... Now, the level of persecution when you can't have service, it really, it is nothing compared to the level of persecution to many of the saints overseas, okay? So I, I don't want to I don't, I don't compare that. I mean, there's Chinese persecution happening of the church over there, and it's at a completely different level. No one's uh, lining up with bulldozers to bulldoze down our churches, but in our country, we have a different system of government, and we have a freedom of religion, and there are those, there are those who decided in some of these states that, hey, um, you, you, we know better, and so what we need to do, now we can say that they had the best of intentions to try to, try to quell the, and try to stop the, uh, the sickness and, and those type of things, but the fact of the matter is um, we have the freedom, and, and one thing we can be glad for in our governor here in this state that he has given much freedom to, to the state of Indiana, and that as churches, we can make that decision, and we are not forced to, uh, to shut down like in these other states. What's your point, Scott? This is my point. It's that same spirit. The, 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 the Pharisees, the, the religious elite that we see in our text, we know better and you, my friend, are not the Messiah. And it's kind of the same spirit, that prideful, arrogant, we know better spirit that rises up and it gets the best of people. And so when, when, when we see this in Scripture, we see human nature doesn't change. And understand that religious establishment in the first century Palestine was opposed to the message of the gospel, as, as are some in our country as well. And I, I know we can say that we can give that they, they had the best of intentions, and there are those that have the best of intentions that are trying to get churches and, and blame churches and, and shut churches down. They have the best of intentions. But ultimately, let's be careful that we're not sliding into a prideful, we know better, that type of a thought. And because that's the same spirit that we see in our text today. One thing we can be thankful, though, is that we have a freedom to make our decisions here in Indiana. And we, we, I'll just tell you right now, we have no real plans to shut down. We, we, we plan on continuing to have services for the healthy. And extremely important in order for us to do that is if you're sick, stay home. It's common sense. 
So if you're sick, stay home. If you're healthy, come, let's worship. Now, that doesn't mean it hasn't been a challenge for Jeremy and Matt, specifically filling all the positions because there are people that have been sick. There have been people that have been around other people so that they're quarantining. And if you're sick or you're needing to quarantine, stay home, absolutely. Watch online. We're glad you're here with us. But it means extra work of trying to, people that were scheduled now can't. And so it's a lot of work. And if something were to come down where just functionally we just couldn't do it, then okay, then we think about it. But overall, I'll just tell you, our plan is to come to the house of the Lord. Um, and our plan is to be faithful to the book of Hebrews, where it says that we're to not stop gathering together. Um, and we believe the most Christ-like loving thing we can do for you our church body, and for this community is to open up the doors and to allow people to come in and worship. That's the most Christ-like thing we sense and we feel we can do. Other churches... Other churches and other friends of ours love Jesus and their uh, mansion will be in heaven as well. Um, they're going to make other decisions. That's fine. Again, I encourage you, don't get caught up in the squabbling of, well, your church doesn't love the community because you're still open. And, well, our church loves the community because our church is open. Don't get caught up in all that. Let every church get together and do what seems right between them and the Holy Spirit as they lead their own local church. I've got strong opinions, and so therefore, as long as the Lord's given me the opportunity to lead this church, and, and we discuss it as an elders and leadership team, we're gonna move forward with what we feel is best. Other churches, if they do something different, I, don't waste your time getting all worked up over that. Let them decide for them. You decide, we'll decide for us, and we'll just, we'll, we'll move forward in that. Okay, um, but here's what I want you to get. What concerns me more than any pushback that we might get from Nevada, from California, or from other people that don't see the priority of the gospel, uh, don't see the importance of the gospel, and the authority of the gospel and the word of God. What, my, my greater concern, and, and I'm just, I'm just going to lay it out there, is our churches that aren't preaching from the authority of the word of God. Churches that aren't preaching the authority of the gospel. They, they, their authority is in, is in their own intellect and, and they still have the name church out on the, on, the, on the sign, but they're not. Because you cannot be a church as in the New Testament sense if your focus and your central focus is not. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and the teaching, right? Um, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Jesus is at the center of everything and prayer. If you don't have those things going on, you're not a church. And so my concern today is, that, and I just felt so strong that I want to say this to the young guys and gals who are here, because one day you're not going to live you're not going to live in Middlebury. You may not. I hope you stick around. But one day you may not. But I hope my words reverberate in your brains for the rest of your life. When you're looking for another church, don't just look for the church that is the most enjoyable, has the coolest smoke screen, that has the coolest screen in the background, who has bluish, purplish lights shining on the back wall. Don't just look for the guy who has the skinniest jeans and the most tattoos or whatever it is. You look for a church that preaches the gospel. You look for a church who stands on the word of God as its authority. And this is what we preach and teach, not what I think. 
because I don't even have to, I don't have to say this because I'm looking at, a, at several families in this room. You would have never come to Pathway if your previous church wouldn't have walked away from the authority of Scripture. I know it. I'm glad you're here. And I'm just going to believe in divine providence. God wanted you here. But, but here, here's, here's, here's the, 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 the confrontation of the cross. It's got to be forefront. Every one of us have got to deal with our sin. And that, the gospel teaching of every one of us are sinners. And we're bound for a Christless eternity in hell. If we don't deal with our sin, it's got to be taught. The idea that I no longer live for self. Jesus didn't come preaching self-help. He said, no, die to yourself. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what Jesus taught. The dying to self. Let me be clear on something. I think the reason so many believers and even pastors have lost authority as they stand before the people to speak is because they've turned their backs on the authority. And that's the word of God. Orthodox Christianity, this is like normal Christianity for years, understands that all scripture is inspired because it's not founded on the thoughts of man. The Apostle Paul said it best in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that we might be equipped to do every good work. It's not based on the opinions of the writers. The scripture is not the product of, of the Apostle Paul or Peter or, or Moses' personal insights. No, this was breathed into the hearts of these men and women as they wrote these scriptures. It's inspired by God. Why is that important, Scott? If we believe that this is just great human thought, if we believe, man, I just love how he said that. Oh, that is just really good how he thought about all those ideas and those. If we believe this is just human wisdom and it's not infallible, then here's what could happen. You could have a better thought. Am I right? I could be in the, oh, forgive my history, but I could be somewhere in the United States and have an angel, Moroni, show up and begin to download all these other thoughts to me and I'm going to write my Book of Mormon. I didn't, by the way. I'm just using it as an illustration. You, you can, I've got, I, you know what? That old Apostle Paul, he was something, but, you know, I got, I'm going to one-up him. I think this and this and this. The Word of God is not just somebody's thoughts. This is our authority. This is what we stand on. And so as they're asking Jesus, with whose authority do you have? It's the authority of Almighty God, not to mention He was God. He is God. Jesus has always been a part of the Godhead. He didn't just show up um, uh, uh, in Mary's womb and, oh, now he's, Jesus is born and now he's here. No, he's always been, he was and is and is to come. That's why it's important, though. This is the word. If, if this is the infallible, inspired words of God, and if, we are, if they are the inspired words of God, we have no other option but to understand them, believe them, and apply them. For instance, let's just, we've already stepped in it. Let's step in it further. Let's talk about human sexuality. I mean, many people today want to take human sexuality 
uh, and just say, well, God didn't really mean that, and God didn't really mean that. And let me just as lovingly um, uh, say to you that um, adultery is still sin. I can't change that. Uh, we, we, just because in our current society, um, things happen differently in our society, but uh, uh, if, if, if we're having a sexual relationship with anyone we're not married to, that's sin. That's straight up. If, if we're having a, uh, a sexual relationship with someone who's of the same uh, sex as ourselves, that's called homosexuality, that's sin. We can't walk away. But there are pastors in churches that are like, well, I'm not so sure that's what they meant. And, and I, I want to be very careful because I know there's some of you in this room, you may be dealing with these sins. There may be even, uh, we've talked a lot at the men's retreat about uh, pornography and, and dealing with that. There's men and women in this congregation, I'm sure of it, that you're dealing with these sins. Maybe living in adultery, maybe struggling with that temptation and homosexuality. I completely understand in our society, it's everywhere. So I understand why there may be some of you struggling with this, and I'm sorry. And I, we as a church want to help point you to truth and the authority on the subject. Just like I have sins that this speaks to my life, right? So you get what I'm saying? This is the authority. We cannot change what the authority already says. We, we look and say, what does this say? We can't say, well, that part, eh, I'm not so sure about. Because if we're going to say, eh, that part I'm not so sure about, about, then what about the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for you? You know where we, rec- we find that recorded? Right here. And so you, it, you've either got to believe that all of this is infallible and this is the word of God and it's all for me and even the parts that I don't completely understand, I'm just going to trust God's going to help me understand. Or you've you got to say, you can't pick and choose because once you start doing that, you walk away from the Christian authority. You walk away from the authority of what Jesus stood for. Okay, when the authority of Scripture collapses, so does the authority of Jesus Christ. How can you have the authority of Christ, our very salvation, without the authority of Scripture? And can I remind you that Jesus was the Scripture dwelling among us. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, uh, the word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's, what makes people so gripped by the words of Christ? It was because of the authority in which he spoke. And he held this authority because of who he was and the authority from where he spoke, the words of God. There's a huge difference between Jesus as a good teacher, a religious guru, a, a, um, a, a man of peace, and the one who was fully God and who went to the cross and the one alone who could go to the cross for my sins and your sins. So Jesus is like, um, I'm gonna turn the tables on you in this. Look at it. I mean, not figuratively this time, or figuratively this time, not physically. Because look at verse three. Let's finish this up. Verse three. He replied, I'll I'll also ask you a question. He's answering the question with a question. Classic debate here. I'll also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? And then verse 5, there's a holy huddle. Look at it. Oh, let's discuss this, fellas. They discussed it among themselves and said, "Uh, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. 
I mean, I think part of the discussion is missing here. And that was the part where it's like, whose idea was it to ask this question? I told you that was a dumb question. Why did, I don't understand. I mean, I'm sure there was, they were going bantering back and forth saying, what were we thinking asking him this question? We surely could have come up with a better question. What are we going to do now? And the reason that he, Jesus asked this question is because the right answer to the question is the correct answer to both questions. On whose authority did John baptize people? On whose authority did you ride in on that donkey and did you clear out the temple? It was on the authority of Almighty God because he was God and the authority of the scriptures. Look at verse 7. So they answered, well, we've talked about it and we don't know where it was from. Verse 8, Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He got them. I think if we're honest, you're choosing not to believe in the authority of Jesus. If someone chooses that today, we're just like these men. Jesus is essentially saying that if you don't believe in Jesus' authority when you see it, then no amount of arguing is going to sway you otherwise. You see, Jesus could have stood there and argued back and forth on and on and on and on and on. But Jesus knew their heart was not to receive salvation or put their faith in him. Their heart was to try to stir up trouble and ultimately kill him. Do you remember the poor man Lazarus and, uh, uh, and the rich man? We talked about it in Luke chapter 16. And in that parable, the rich man said, if they do not listen to Moses, excuse me, the rich man said, um, have Lazarus come back, go back to my brothers and tell them and uh, tell them everything that's going on here. And, and what was Jesus' response? In essence, if your brothers, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And so the opposition from the religious elite in our passage is the same reason that many oppose, oppose Christianity today and, and oppose the authority of Christ today. So as the worship team, would you come? I want to throw this out to you as we conclude. By what authority are you living your life? If anything in scriptures um, causes you to feel shame, um, it's, it, it, it's, it's conviction power. And, and if something I said today causes you to feel a little uneasy or whatever, just line it up with scripture and our, our goal is not that you line it up with what Scott says, but that you line it up with the word, what the Word of God says. And if something in your life is not lining up with truth, with the authority, then I call you to obey, just like I call myself to obey. As, as your pastor, as your shepherd, you can go on living in sin. You can go on living... Well, I, I'm pretty much going to let God be my authority in all these areas. But this one area, eh, I'm not going to let him be my authority here because, well, it's the easiest way. We can make all the excuses in the world. But if we're really going to live under the authority of Scripture, then there's some, maybe some decisions you need to make today. You need to search your own heart. It was the debate in that day. It's the debate in our day. At Pathway Church, we believe that Jesus is Lord. And a simple way of saying that is he's the highest authority. There's no other equal to Jesus. There's no one above him. And when I say Jesus, I mean the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all equal. But there's no one higher. He is in the highest place of authority. And when he says something, when God's word says something, we believe it. And when he commands something, by the grace of God, we seek to obey it.
So some of you, I just challenge you, let's just hear the word of the Lord today on the, on the idea of the ultimate authority. Because even in the church, some of us are challenged at times because in our culture, culture's okay with certain things. But as a believer in Christ, we can't build our lives off of what culture says. It must be off of what the word of God says. This has to be our authority. They asked Jesus, on what authority? It's on the authority of my Father, on the authority of the Father God, on the authority of Almighty God, that he did what he did because he was who he was. And it's the same authority of God. Can I just remind you of something too? Matthew 28, verse 18. I didn't read this for you earlier, but Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it says. Jesus holds the keys. All authority is his. Are we gonna give it to him? Are you gonna give him all authority in your life in every area? And if you felt conviction today, I'll encourage you to respond.